Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fundamentals Podcast. I am your host, Harley. Joining me on this episode to discuss the sitcom 30 Rock, it's returning guest, hosts of the Let's Jaws for a Minute and Real Perspective podcasts, MJ Smith. MJ was kind enough to jump back onto the show to discuss with me Another personal favourite of mine, it's a show that ran from 2006 to 2013 and followed the life of head writer Liz Lemon as she tried to keep her NBC show, The TGS Show, well and truly alive at 30 Rockefeller Plaza. As you can imagine from that description, it's a show that is very meta, very sharply written and at some points kind of subversive. It's full of weird characters and great cameos, as well as a core cast of fantastic actors and writers, all of which get discussed in this episode. And yes, Let's Jaws for a Minute fans, Leap Day William is discussed, so you have nothing to worry about. So, without further ado, let's just get straight into this episode. This is 30 Rock with MJ Smith. Hello, MJ, and welcome back to the Fundamentals Podcast. Hey, Harley. Thanks for having me a second time. Yes, yeah. That's, yeah, do you know what? I'm fine. I'm happy to let people know this is our second attempt at recording. Thanks to the disruptive dog that you would have heard on the Scrubs episode with Andrew, and not on any of the others because I had to edit around it. But anyway, good to have you back on, my friend. Um, th- this intro feels very appropriate for what we're talking about, actually, on this episode. <laughs> Which um which is very which is brilliant because uh, listeners of the show will know that I was actually calling out for this show to be brought up and the show is of course Thirty Rock and MJ you answered the call so thank you very much for doing that. You are very welcome. It is maybe my favorite television comedy of all time. I can understand why. So um so sort of take us into that, mate. I mean, when did you first see this? And I'm guessing that's why you brought it to the show then. Yeah, so I first saw 30 Rock uh, when I was out of work. I was um, looking for a job, and basically all I was doing all day was watching sitcoms and Mm -hmm. applying for jobs. I mean, I was treating applying for jobs like a full-time job, basically, and it was... yep. Is during like a bad recession in the country, so it was just super hard to come by. And in the background, I would just have on different shows. So I did The Office, and this is still when they were airing. Both of both of the shows were airing on on NBC when I was doing this. So okay, I think it was the first four ish seasons of the The Office, the the American version of The Office, mm-hmm. and I liked it fine. And then. I just kind of was like, once I got caught up, I was like, well, what's next on the list? And 30 Rock, I think, was airing right after The Office at the time. And so I was like, I'll just go to the thing that's airing after The Office. And it exploded my brain. I didn't know (laughs) that a show could be that weird and Uh uh, funny. And just... There was something about the both the style of humor, which is very like referential, but also very like fast paced. There's there's the joke the joke a minute quotient in that show is out of control, and mm-hmm. I think that's what really uh, kind of locked my brain on like set my brain on fire. Sorry, <laughs> is 
that I was just like, oh, this is so quick and funny and everyone, every character felt distinct and there's like really good dialogue in here and everything moves at a, at a fast pace, but it's not frantic. Mm-hmm. Um, but everything, and it's just so, it's so willing to be super weird and out there. And I appreciate that for something that was airing at like nine o'clock at night on a Thursday <laughs> on NBC. You know, this is the, this is the network responsible for friends and mad about you and like the, and Seinfeld, like the most down the middle, straightforward, you know, um, basic, that's not a criticism, but just basic sitcom uh, structures of the 1990s was letting something like 30 Rock exist after something like The Office, which also I would say is a pretty straightforward mm. comedy show. Nothing like super weird or or, or um, surreal happens on that show and stuff that is completely out of the ordinary is happening left and right on 30 Rock and I love it. I think what you said there is is so true about the show and that's definitely definitely a reason why I loved it I think when I first saw it because you're absolutely right it is one of those shows that in its premise you'd think it sounds quite simple like it's meta you know it's a show about a bunch of comedy writers writing for a comedy show and so on that, you think, oh, yeah, they're probably going to have a bit of, you know, a wink and a nod at the camera. But they take it and just run with that idea to the point where there's just some really crazy out there gags. And, and I must admit, I, I've not seen the show for a while. I've got the box set and it's ugh, after this summer, man, my, my list of comedies to watch is like and rewatch is oh, just sure. ever growing. But this is definitely going back up there because I just remember it being so much fun. You know, it's one of those shows that has quite a high concept and a fun premise. But I don't know about you. I never felt bored with it because it's, it's eight mm-hmm. seasons long, isn't it? Roughly. Yeah. And it's like 138 episodes I've got here. So it's quite easy for a show at that point to become tiresome, you know, and a bit weary. But I I'd, I'd personally, I'd love to get your insights on this, but I personally feel like that's never the case with this show. I think it got a little long in the tooth as it was as it was ramping down, but I'm fine with that because it was kind of winding up or winding down. Sorry. Right. And uh, yeah, but but up until that, like I think seasons two through like four mm. are some of the strongest comedy in of the two thousands for sure. Mm. And you know, like you were talking about the concept, the concept's just the Muppets, right? Like it's just yeah. the same. It's the exact same. <laughs> conceit as the Muppet show (laughs) pretty much Um, (laughs) which is the the backstage antics but I think what sets 30 Rock apart is that it still does Muppet style gags but with people and that is so funny to me Um, because the Muppets can get away with it because there's already a layer of fantasy Mm. involved with the Muppets existing and in 30 Rock it just is real people and um, and, you know and obviously if you know who Tina Fey is then you know it's some of the 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 base level characters and even Tracy Morgan Hmm. are based on their time at SNL. They were both like prominent figures at at Saturday night live. So you hear that premise and you go, Oh, okay. So this is a semi-autobiographical thing about when Tina Fey was writing at SNL Hmm. and all this stuff. And then you watch an episode of the show and you're like, what is that? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It doesn't lean too heavily on that, which, which is interesting because something that a previous guest on the show said, Petros, he was talking when he was talking about Seinfeld, and I thought it was such a good observation. He said that like 
in his opinion, when a lot of sitcoms succeed is when they are writing about what they know about. Mm. And so, of course, like you say, Tina Fey and, you know, famously being on Saturday Night Live makes sense that you write something based on those experiences. But as you say, it's, it's, it's a show that's not afraid to step outside of that in many ways and just have fun and explore all sorts of bizarre antics. I mean, you talk about the Muppets, my brain just instantly flashed to the random but brilliant gag that the character of Pen- uh, Kenneth Parcell sees everyone as Muppets. That is just, my favorite joke in all of 30 It's Rock. so good, but that's just like one of many examples where the show will just randomly throw something at you like that. And you're just like, yeah. wait, what? What just happened? <laughs> so, I, I just saw so Alec Baldwin as a Muppet. And it's like, it's like for so, 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah, so in the episode, they, 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 it, it shows like how people, how the different characters view the world. Mm. And when it gets to Kenneth, it shows, actually, this is my favorite joke in all of 30 Rock. Mm. It shows uh, that Kenneth sees everyone as Muppets, but, <laughs> but <laughs> he, he, Tina Fey's walking down the um, the hallway and he stops her and, like, says something because Kenneth is, like, very cheery mm. and Liz is in a bad mood. Tina Fey plays Liz Lemon. And mm. Liz is in a bad mood, so she just kind of turns around and, like, she's still a Muppet and she huffs at, um, at Kenneth. <laughs> That's and funny. then she walks away grumpily, yeah. but it cuts back to reality and she's still walking like a Muppet. Yeah. <laughs> like... <laughs> She's still like waddling back and forth and like moving her shoulders up and down, like they how they simulate the Muppets walking. And that's that, right. <laughs> that's my all time favorite Thirty Rock joke. I'm so glad we got to it this early in the episode because oh, it. Yeah. The first time I saw it, I was like, I can't believe she committed to doing the Muppet walk after it came back to reality. And it's this perfect little button mm. on the gag that preceded it. It's so good. <laughs> it's wonderful. I mean, again, people know listen to this series that this just becomes very quickly a series of do you remember that bit when you know and and this is yeah i'm more than happy to do that with this show because there are so many great moments um and yeah well oh sorry go on go on and 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 30 rock i think better than most sitcoms maybe community accepted Mm. um plays the long game when it comes to its gags so stuff will like keep paying off seasons later um you know there's (laughs) There's, there's this episode really early on. I think it's... Um, sorry, my keyboard's going to make some noise here. Um, no worries. Yeah, season one, episode seven mm. is called Tracy Does Conan, and it's mm. it's Tracy on the Conan show, and he's... Tracy's having a nervous breakdown, and he keeps seeing this weird character called the Blue Dude, and it's just this, like weird blue costume they just put rachel they just like put Mm. rachel dratch in it and gave her blue gloves and painted her face blue and then put this like weird i don't know like borderline grimace from mcdonald's borderline (laughs) just like a chicken nugget shaped costume and she just like they shoot her at a weird angle and she just makes weird noises with her mouth the blue dude is then a character who randomly shows up like seasons into the show like keeps coming back and keeps like uh being a recurring character when people and like they, they right. i think there's a certain point where like liz has a nervous breakdown and she sees the blue dude that's and, right oh i forgot yeah yeah that's so that's right 
<laughs> and so it was just like that's like that kind of commitment to a long running joke is mm. something I love. You also get yeah. in that episode the introduction of Chris Parnell's Doctor Spachemin, Doctor <gasps> Leo Spachemin. Yeah, but his last name is spelled spelled Spaceman, so they call him Doctor Spaceman. Space <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Chris Parnell. People know him from just everything he's in everything yeah. a lot of voice acting work as well he's so good at playing like a, a an insane kind of sad sack of a character um and and dr leo spaceman is definitely one of those like he's very unhinged um and again i mean there's so many great characters that just pop up in this as you say of like recurring cast and that, that's another thing i love about this show is it's it does what a lot of great sitcoms do that we've already discussed is it, it knows how to use guest stars really well. Mm-hmm. It's not just people cameoing for the sake of cameoing. It's like people coming in and bringing something like, like a character like that, for example, um, that is just hilarious and bounces so well off of the others. Oh yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, that's an excellent point. There are so many memorable guest guest stars like um Mm. uh, will arnett as devin banks in the later seasons is as as like the the anti-jack donaghy he's like yes hyper liberal and gay and like everything like the exact complete foil to to jack and uh the 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 play between those two is so so great and it really injects and yeah. it injects like a freshness into those later seasons too. And they use they use him kind of perfectly where he's not like a full on star of the show, but he shows mm. up enough to where um I almost liken it to um uh the way Brooklyn Nine Nine uses Craig Robinson and the yeah. uh, Doug Doug Judy Doug character Judy. where yeah. like you're always happy when it's a Doug Judy episode. Yes. Yeah, big time. You're you're absolutely right. That Will Arnett is what he was one of my favorite recurring characters. And just looking at it now, he's only in nine episodes, and that genuinely surprises me because it feels like more. Like that character has such a presence that you kind of like you said, whenever he pops up, it's always good seeing those two go head to head. And I I just remember a line I think with Jack's trying to expose him or like out him to a family that he's trying to get muscle in on. And the guy, it just the scene just ends with someone, this this guy, this very handsome young man, just tackling uh, Will Arnett's character. And Will Arnett just screams like, oh, he's like the Greeks as he hits the floor. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It just makes me laugh every time. <laughs> That's it. I quit. No more football. Jack wins. Quitter! Oh, God. Oh, just like the Greeks. My favorite is when um, they first, I think they first introduced Devin and mm. Jack's talking about how they're having problems and Liz just goes, are you going to solve it with a talking like this contest? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, they match, like you said, he matches the energy so well. I mean, that's just one of many. Um, uh, another one of my personal favorites uh, has to be John Hamm's character. I'm just looking up his name. It's Dr. Oh Drew. God. Uh, Bayard as yeah uh, it's such an amazing cameo and I remember watching a video with John Hamm like talking about his career and different characters he's played over the years and like that was one he really enjoyed because it was so obviously at the time he's like you know he's entering Mad Men and doing very serious drama and this he just plays 
like the stupidest man alive. But <laughs> yeah. it's like a really good commentary on like people that he's just because obviously he's a very handsome man. And so he just gets by on life, not because of any sort of street smarts or intelligence, but just because he happens to be attractive. And so he just kind of coasts, even though he's incredibly stupid. So tell me where you went to school again. Well, um, I say you really look nice today. Thank you. Do you know her? No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 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 uh, that's my car. The meter's expired. I, I forgot to get quarters. You know what? I got quarters. Thanks, officer. You're welcome. Boy, people sure are nice to you. Yeah, I guess. Excuse me. I'm Calvin Klein. And I think you should be my next underwear model. Well, thanks. You want to get a card or phone number? We'll figure it out. Yeah, and it, th th I love that they use John Hamm like that because... I think John Hamm, if you, there are certain comedians whose podcasts I will listen to, and John Hamm's a big comedy guy. Like, before he got Mad Men, basically all he would do was, like, hobnob around comedians in L.A. Like, he would just go to comedy shows and hang out at the comedy clubs, and he's really, really funny, but he's 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 like cursed a little bit with the body of an adonis like he's it's, <laughs> it's it's how i feel about ryan gosling where right you know ryan gosling was in the these serious dramas like only mm. god forgives and drive and playing these stoic quiet broody characters and i don't like those movies very much but the nice guys is one of my favorite one of my mm. favorite movies of all time and hands down my favorite ryan gosling performance mm. and he's like a complete neurotic weirdo in that movie mm. and i was like oh this is the type of character you should have been playing the whole time mm. but you're like you're so classically handsome that you get pigeonholed into these other roles that don't fit you as well i know i just upset a lot of people who like that movie drive but <laughs> um, <laughs> Well, I'll say that my personal favorite film of all time, I'm sure I've mentioned it on the podcast, is uh, the Blade Runner sequel, Blade Runner 2049. And I adore mm. Ryan Gosling in that film so much. He's really good at it. He's amazing. But you're right. He's one of those actors like a John Hamm. Like, I, I agree. Like, I want to see them do more comedy because whenever they do it, it's really entertaining. Um, and yeah, and there's no exception in this show. Like, when, Again, he's only in seven episodes, but very much like a Will Arnett, like makes such an impression that whenever he does pop up, you're like, you're almost like dancing. You're almost like, yes, it's a, he's back. And you just can't wait to see what he gets up to. And I'm pretty sure, doesn't his like one of his last episodes where he turns up, he's somehow like burnt off both his hands or something. And like, he's... <laughs> yeah, he, he lost one of his hands and uh, it was to the same accident twice. Like yeah, he, he was... Right. <laughs> he it's something about like he was handling a firework and it went off in his hand and so yeah. he was like well that one went away so i'm going to use my other hand to do the same thing and yeah. he lost that hand too yeah. it's just stupid gags and again you, you would think it's kind of brave of a show to do that to take an actor who by the time he turns up in the series you know is in one of the biggest dramas of of like recent you know decades mm -hmm. of television um and like you said, to just give him these stupid one-liners and gags, it's really bizarre. It reminds me of, it's a bit of a tangent, but it reminds me of like in Parks and Rec when they get him in for like literally 30 seconds of a cameo and he's fired <laughs> and he just walks out. <laughs> it's the well, same kind of thing where it's very bold as, as a writing choice. They're like, oh, this is big drama actor and they just get him in for really silly gags and he's just gone. 
Yeah, well, they, they end up doing that in the next show they do. I mean, John Hamm's first show as a series regular after Mad Men was the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yes. Which is arguably weirder than 30 Rock. Oh, 100%. And, yeah. <laughs> and that is saying something, but it's that same creative mm. team. And John Hamm's a piece of crap in that show. Like, he's this oh, yeah. cult leader with this southern accent, and he's, like, mm. dingy and got this, like, weird hairstyle, like, long yeah. hair and... Um, it's, it's really like totally against type for him, but he's Mm. so freaking funny in that show Mm. and he's so willing to be the butt of these jokes. And he just like, every time he does comedy, he shows up to play. And I I really appreciate that about him. I say, man, and it's, it's one of those, like, I'm just looking through the the cast now. And again, it's the same. Every time they get somebody in. Matt Damon. uh, Matt. Yeah. What does Matt Damon do? Cause I'm, I saw him on here and I'm like. Like, I'm he racking my he brains. Plays, he plays one of um, Liz's boyfriends in uh, a later episode, mm-hmm. um, and he, his name's Carol, and he's a he's a oh gosh, he's, he's a, a pilot. pilot, isn't he? Yeah, he's a yes. pilot, and and he he dates Liz for a while. That's right. Yeah, one of the late later later seasons, and he's on like three or four episodes too, and he's like this totally sensitive. You know, like Liz is not in tune with her emotions so he kind of mm. like helps her grow in that way and th- it ends up not working out because he wants to be serious and she doesn't or something um it's been a minute mm. since i've watched the show all the way through but same yeah. uh yeah they they get freaking matt damon to show up and just like burst into tears and scream uh i just want grown-up love um, yeah <laughs> when they're both breaking up <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's it's so much good stuff in here. Oh. And don't you agree that our situation is perfect right now? <laughs> we have these great visits together, but then we still have our separate lives. We're like Jeffrey and Ina. <laughs> no, no. I can't, I can't live like this anymore. <laughs> I'm not like Jeffrey Gordon. <laughs> I'm not as strong as that guy. You don't have too much fun without me, okay? I need to know where this relationship is going, and I can feel you resisting it. No! No! It okay? Don't be cry! Uh, I'm, I'm a pilot, Liz. You know, I spent my entire adult life just casual girlfriends in different cities, and I, I, I can't go from woman to woman to woman anymore. How many women have you been with? No, no, I'm not, I'd, I'd rather not say. It's shameful. And I'm a pilot. Six. Oh, that's not so great. I want grown-up love. <laughs> Uh, Michael Sheen shows up for a, a bit as d- one of yeah. Liz's boyfriends. His name in the show it's is Wesley, Wesley Snipes. Yes. <laughs> and he, he has a great bit where she's like, you mean like uh, the actor? And he goes, oh, please tell me, like, put a picture of me and a picture of the him side by side and tell me which one of us looks more like they're named Wesley Snipes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he has like a real chip on his shoulder about it as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does. <laughs> It's oh, it's so good. I mean, I'm just scrolling through, and I I must admit, some of these I don't remember. But it's like Steve Buscemi, Julianne Moore's in this. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, Hayek, Steve Buscemi's so funny. Steve Buscemi plays a yeah. uh, he plays a private detective that uh, 
Jack will hire from time to time. You know that how do you do fellow kids meme? That's right, um, yeah. There, that's, see, that's, that's, that's from 30 Rock. It's, it's coming back to me now, yeah. <laughs> that's right. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, that is from 30 Rock, yeah. I was part of a special task force of very young-looking cops who infiltrated high schools. How do you do, fellow kids? What? <laughs> uh, yeah, he has one of my favorite guest star lines where he talks about... Uh, uh. The, he says that his his nickname is the Chameleon, right. and uh, which is one a nod to him playing Randall in uh, Monsters Inc. It is, but two, uh, they go, oh, is it because you can blend to the background? And he just goes, no, it's because of my large wet eyes. And then he blinks <laughs> three times, and they put this like squishy sound effect when he blinks, and that's the <laughs> end of the scene. And it is so weird and funny. <laughs> yeah this is all come flooding back to me now as you say it yeah. oh i'm gonna have, i mean all of these i've enjoyed hunting clips down for but like yeah this is gonna be something special oh my goodness but yeah just all of these man all of these are wonderful and um ah, uh, i'm trying to think where to go next because we've started with like ancillary characters which is quite unusual but right but it's fine. Well, oh, they're, so, they're so memorable. They're so too, memorable. Yeah. What, one more I'd love to, to throw out. Um, obviously, James Mars, Marsden, who plays Chris, mm-hmm. who ends up becoming Liz's kind of final lasting relationship, it seems, by the end of the series. He's great. Yep. He's another one I, was, I think he's, who, you know, for a while was kind of typecast as sort of like a, a, a very generic, you know, handsome love interest leading man in movies where he has animated sidekicks um but you know that's by the by but in this he's he's really funny like he his comedic chops in it are absolutely brilliant and and he bounces yeah. so well off liz and i thought it was quite an interesting pairing because for the show like you know liz one of like the recurring things of the show is liz is just like crashing one relationship after another you know she's uh-huh. like disastrous at choosing people or making them last so when james marston comes along as like the final hurdle and you're like oh is she gonna mess this up or you know who, who are they gonna get to kind of bounce off her after everything she's been through and he just he slots in perfectly like i find i think he doesn't miss a beat with her and he has one of my favorite episodes um which is quite later on in the series where like they go to ikea as a couple and they've been together for a while and it's that great gag of like like of basically how ikea is like a place that like feeds off the misery of couples yeah and, and i can't remember who it is the actor that plays like one of the crew uh sorry one of the staff who's just following them around like hoping they'll burst into an argument and it's like just almost waiting for them to start and like that whole episode is wonderful and his chemistry with her during it is really funny i just remember watching it and yeah as, as someone who is married and has been to ikea i can attest it does feel like that it does feel like a place that's engineered to start <laughs> Start fights. Really uh, so, at time of recording, I have <laughs> been to IKEA for the first time in my life, <gasps> less than twenty four hours ago. Oh, do tell then. How did you find it? We loved it. I, really? I yeah, we really liked it a lot. Actually, um, <laughs> we it was like an adventure for us. I will say the drive home, we hit some traffic, and I did get very annoyed by that. Um, but we also kind of knew what we wanted. Okay. Um, and so we, we had kind of pre-gamed because neither one of us had ever been to Ikea. And I think that might've helped. Okay. Uh, where we just were like, okay, we 
this is so overwhelming. If we lose focus of just the three things we're here for, <laughs> we're going to go insane. And so it really, <laughs> I will say it did have to put us to the test of like, we mm. can't get distracted by anything. And so we ended up picking up a lot of like weird little stuff that, okay. that we would have liked for the house and stuff, but nothing too major. We didn't purchase anything, any big piece of furniture that we weren't intending on getting. Good. So smart. Uh, it, it went okay, but we very much had to be like, "This is the plan. We're sticking to the plan. If we deviate from the plan, we're gonna yell." <laughs> like, yeah, you will. I mean, but fair play. But yeah, it's just one of my many favorites. Um, and he's yeah, I just think a great cast. I mean, that, that's just again, that's just the the um, guest stars really. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess really we should probably talk more about the the main cast and uh, well, it's your episode, MJ. Where where would you want to begin? Who's your favorite character? I love Kenneth Ellen Parcell from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Um, <laughs> Good choice. He he is so great. Jack McBrayer is, mm. I think, maybe like an Andy Kaufman level genius. Right. Um, okay. Because I have never seen him break character. Mm. And he always plays that kind of sunny, positive outlook on life type of mm. character. But with this like weird, he's always done that. But then in 30 Rock, they give him this weird darkness in the background that like just comes in mm. on the edges of that character. And like they, there's a running bit that he's immortal <laughs> in it. Um, <laughs> That's right. There's, uh, there's, there's this like gag that he keeps it, that he's like a Norman Bates type who keeps his mother's skeleton next to him. But then it's revealed that he, uh, he's like, it's it like shows a skeleton and he's talking to his mom. And so you think it's going to be mm. like a psycho thing. Yeah. And then it's revealed that he's talking to his mom on the phone. And he's like, Hey, I'm just looking at this kooky skeleton that yeah. you sent me. Thanks for <laughs> sending it to me. And so they just keep doing like weird stuff like that. And like, uh, Oh, in the first season, uh, mm. um, it, there's an episode where he enters a poker tournament with Jack, and Jack's really good at poker. That's yeah, and he yeah, yeah. he can't read he can't read Kenneth, and he basically <laughs> says at the end that in ten years we'll either all be working for him or dead by his hand. <laughs> oh, and that's, they just yeah. mm. they commit to that so much that the show ends with Kenneth running NBC. That's right. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I just, I loving this. You're bringing it all back for me. It's yeah, that's so true. That, that episode with the poker thing is so, so good. It's so funny. That's like the first time I think you really get to see him shine, like, especially cause he's like toe to toe with the powerhouse that is Jack Donaghy. And like you said, it's just nothing. Can't get anything off him. Uh, I seem to remember an episode where you meet Kenneth's family as well. And aren't they like the most backwater weird group of guys like one of them's involved with the local drug dealers or something and it's like this really bizarre thing that you just do not expect from him at all yeah it's um brian cranston i think plays that, yeah. his dad i think you're right that's got me very excited um yeah <laughs> and um oh gosh who plays his mom i want to say it's like Stifler's mom, but I think I'm wrong about that. 
You could be right. I, I'm not too sure. I'm just rolling IMDb as we speak. Oh, no, it's Perlene. That's right. Oh, okay. Oh, it's Catherine O'Hara. Oh, really? Okay, I'm not mm-hmm. seeing that on here. But no, I'll take your word for it. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and then he's got he's got uh, Ron is Brian Cranston, I think. That's that's his stepfather. Mm. Um, but Ken- <laughs> Kenneth gets so and he's got a really good arc over the episode because he starts as a page mm. and he's like the longest running page or whatever, and. Yeah. Then he gets fired um, and becomes a janitor and then works his way back up to, like, running the company. And so I really like that arc of, like, setting it up in the first season. I looked it up, by the way. That poker episode is the third episode of the series. And right. uh, so they it seems like they know where they want Kenneth to go yeah. from the beginning. And then he gets all these weird, like, these backwards jokes because... Mm. Um, Donald Glover got his start writing on 30 Rock. He was he was a he was a writer for 30 Rock. I didn't know that. And, okay. Yeah. It, he's in one of the episodes. He plays like a stagehand. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And the reason they put Kenneth from Stone Mountain, Georgia is because Donald Glover is from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Oh. Oh, that's cool. So a lot of the a lot of the Georgia jokes that are written mm. for Kenneth in the first, I think, two, three seasons, I think is how long Donald Glover was writing for them. Yeah. Um, were written by Donald Glover. That's cool. That's cool. I like that. Nice. Wow. I mean, what what a, a riot to have as well. I mean, we've already talked about Community. That episode will be mm. out actually by the time this comes out. But um, but still, awesome. And yeah, you're right. I think I think the performance by Jack McBray of this is it's just wonderful. It's so great to have that kind of character. Like you said, he's always beaming, and like he never seems to nothing seems to phase him weirdly but I, I kind of love that and it like you said they, they have a lot of fun with the character and some of those psycho jokes like i really enjoyed as the series progressed yeah there's an episode where tracy and um jenna have to go take care of kenneth's birds yeah and or no something like they think he's a serial killer they're suspecting him of a serial killer mm. and uh he's being like really cagey about moving like about why he's not at his apartment and it's because mm. he needed to bug bomb his apartment or something mm. and so they're in the apartment when the bug bomb goes off and jenna's like do you know what this means and tracy just goes the riddler's coming oh my god why does he have a rolled up towel against the bottom of the door it's so creepy jenna i just want you to know that if we find any human remains in there i'm gonna throw up all over your face <laughs> Oh no! Get him some murderer and Riddler's coming! No! It's a bug bomb! Get out! Get out! It's poisonous! Yeah! <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I think Kenneth Allen Parcel would be an incredible Riddler, is uh, oh, what I think would. about what I think about that. He would, wouldn't he? I mean, yep. I don't know what's happening with. Um, the Batman at this moment in time. I'm, from the trailer, it looks like it might be a, a, a Riddler-esque character. But if it's not too late or if he's not already in the film, like, yeah, Warner Brothers, if you're listening. Cast <laughs> Jack McBrayer as the Riddler. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
He also, I, I would be remiss to not bring up uh, the Leap Day William episode because it has become uh-huh. a bit of a bit of lore for uh, those of you who listen to Let's Jaws for a minute. So, mm-hmm. where to begin with Leap Day William? So, uh, <laughs> it is such, it is the single weirdest episode of television I think I have ever seen, and I cannot believe it aired. And people just went, okay. Um, and we don't talk about it every single day. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, so the, the conceit is that nothing you do matters on Leap Day, but they, they created like a Santa for Leap Day. That's um, right. And his name is Leap Day William, and he comes from the sea to hand out candy to children. But Kenneth cosplays as Leap Day William, mm-hmm. and uh, they talk about, is it, Jack or Liz, someone says that they like that that he committed to them because Leap Day William is bald. Mm. And they say that they like that he committed to the bit by even going so far as to put a bald cap on. And he said, yes, putting a bald cap on, not taking my hair off. And they just (laughs) leave it at that. That's right. (laughs) And isn't there like, I I just sort of looked at a clip, I just jogged my memory. There's a whole like thing as well about a Leap Day William movie. Starring Jim Carrey, <laughs> and it's like, and that runs like in in conjunction with it, and it's just it's like another layer of weirdness that you just like what, and he gets gills, and it's just like what is going on? <laughs> so there's there's this this idea, uh, or there's this subplot that because Liz has never heard of Leap Day William, and everyone else has, so like even Chris yeah. is the one who's like, let's Leap Day William, we gotta watch Leap. The name of the movie is called Leap Dave Williams, and yeah. In the movie, it is basically like the the Tim Allen film, The Santa Claus. Yeah. And Jim Carrey plays a man named Dave Williams, who then, through some magical happenstance, ends up having to take up the mantle of Leap Day William. That's right. And there's clips of that throughout the the show, Mm. um, throughout the episode. And it... It's so one. I I love that episode because of how damn weird it is, man. It's mm-hmm. so weird, and I also love that it gives me like a tradition to do every four years. Like there's a <laughs> you know it's the only leap day themed episode of television ever, and I love that they took that idea of like a Christmas special or a Halloween special or whatever and applied it to yeah. this day no one ever thinks about. Yeah. Um. Also, it is the first episode of the show I ever made my wife watch, and she was like, what is this? And we didn't watch the show through for, like, multiple years because it was yeah. so off-putting to her because of how strange that whole episode is. I can understand that. I mean, in, in her defense, yeah. that, that's, like, six seasons in. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a lot to put on someone. <laughs> Well, especially the final gag where, like, Leap Day William uh, is real in the canon of 30 Rock. Yes. And he, like, gives Tracy advice. Yeah. And then he, he like, he takes off his hat and, like, be- he basically becomes, like, an eldritch beast at that point. Yeah. Like, it's then revealed that, that Leap Day William is some sort of, like, Lovecraftian nightmare creature. Yeah. And once again, they just leave it at that. Like, Leap Day William comes back zero times over the rest of the series you just have to deal with it. And I appreciate that sort of, like, I think that's why I appreciate the show so much is because Mm. there are so many episodes that feel like 
they're 30 minute versions of these um, really weird, either late in the show or never make it to air um, SNL sketches. Yeah. And this is a show that is like, lets them get away with it. And it was airing, like I said, at like nine o'clock on a Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like, um, it, it, again, it just speaks to the the boldness, really, I think, of the writers and the staff. They're just like, yeah, let's just throw that out there. And why not? Why not? I, I loved it. I absolutely love that. I'm so glad you brought that up. And yeah, because when you... Um, when you brought it up, actually, on, on Let's Jewels for a minute, I, I did remember th- laughing and thinking, man, I hope I hope somebody brings up 30 Rock on this series because that whole episode, like you said, that whole idea, it just speaks to the, the, the boldness uh, and I think the genius of the writers because I don't know about mm-hmm. you, I c- maybe because over here in, in the UK it's not as big a deal, especially like Halloween and stuff. I get sick of those episodes and sitcoms where it's like, oh, here's the Christmas episode. Oh, here's that. Mm. I'm just like, yeah, we get it. So it's, you know, unless it's like, I don't know, Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they do a heist on Halloween. It's For like, Halloween, it's, actually, yeah. it's actually quite fun. Or it's like, like you said, to, to take a day every four years that nobody really cares about and just turn it into this thing. And it just gets weirder and weirder as it goes on. I'm sitting with you, man. I loved every minute of it. I thought it was genius. Yeah, it's it's so smart. And, like, I, yeah, the only other time I... Like, that is the only episode of television I will revisit for a holiday, and it's not even a real holiday. Yeah. Um, like, I don't really care about, like... It, there's there's the 70s sitcom called WKRP in Cincinnati, mm-hmm. and they have a, uh, a Thanksgiving episode that is widely considered, like, the best Thanksgiving sitcom episode of all time. And there are people who, like, that's their Thanksgiving tradition. Like, we have to watch the Turkey Drop episode of WKRP. And, like, Mm. I don't care about any of those. Like, I don't care about watching the Christmas specials that come out, the Christmas episodes of whatever. But Leap Day, I'm watching Leap Day Williams. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, man, so good. And there's there's so many as well that are kind of other episodes like that that just happen. And you just roll with it. The weirdness, yep. you're just kind of like, yep, why not? This is happening. But I also feel like yeah. it's a really intelligent show at the same time. Um, I mean, as one, yes. character, one character that I think is an excellent example of this, and I mean, it's a great performance, uh, is Jenna, Jenna Maroney, mm-hmm. played by Jane Krakowski, I think is a hilarious commentary on actors and the actor ego and like there's there's so much stuff that she does which is just really really clever and really funny like she plays insecure actress so so well in the show oh don't be so dramatic that's my thing and if you take it away from me i will kill myself and then you yeah she is wonderful in the show it's such a perfectly cast show too Mm. and like it's it's cool because not to take away from Jen Krakowski's performance at all, but mm. Tracy's basically the same character. Yeah. Um, and it, it, but so different, like they, they're so mm. distinct, but so similar. And because of that, they bounce off the, the pairing of them is mm. so strong. Like they, when they're acting opposite each other, they're like really dynamite performers. And yeah, um, I think they both went underappreciated while the show was on because I think they're both, mm brilliant in the show as 
one, I think Tracy Morgan was kind of playing into a persona he had kind of made for himself in his SNL days. Mm -hmm. And then Jenna or Jane Krakowski has this background as a theatrical actress who does a lot of singing and dancing. And Mm. she really plays up that side of her as like, oh, I'm the, you know, the sexy Broadway starlet who has the world delivered to her on a silver platter. But like, she's Mm. also just on some sketch show where they do things called like, they, they have a sketch where the premise of the sketch is that there is a fart machine and there are too many farts in the fart machine. Like that, yeah. that kind of lowbrow uh, uh, humor that, that mm. the show, the sketch of the show within the show does combined with like her high minded idea of who she is. It, it mm. creates like really great um, foils for her and, and really like, you know, comedically ironic situations to put her in. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember an episode, I think, is it, she plays a character, I'm pretty sure it's called Baby Wawa or something, and it's like the most <laughs> ridiculous, like, but she leans heavily into it because she's getting all this attention that she's not had or she feels she hasn't had for a while. And like you said, it's this great kind of paradox of like how she sees herself, as you say, um, versus what she really wants which is attention, you know? And so she just leans into this character that in reality is beneath her, is beneath what she's capable of as this very talented actress. But that's kind of the joke of it. And she, and she plays it really, really well. It's, it's There's so many moments like it. I think of another episode, one of my favourites, because I thought it was so brilliantly dark, was the one where um, she, has a, she has a stalker but she ends up chasing the stalker down because he moves on to someone else and like she can't handle him not giving her that really uh well unwanted but also wanted attention it's like it's a really clever episode and it's very funny <laughs> um oh that's the um <clears throat> that's a uh, a valentine's day episode that's right yeah yeah Mm. um where yeah it, it, it and uh it's anna howard shaw day mm. is the name of the episode and is that the one yeah bon jovi's in that episode that's pretty early on too oh no it's season four it's like halfway through yes uh horatio sands yeah horatio sands plays the stalker and she gets <laughs> she gets frustrated at him uh because he's not stalking her as much anymore yeah that's right. And like she ends up, there's a bit where she's like looking at pictures that he sent where like he's next to her when she's asleep and she's almost looking at them like longingly, kind of like, <laughs> oh, those were the days. And it's just, it's so dark. And it's like, but it's, again, it's a brilliant commentary on like, on her and the, and the fragile ego of the actor. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just played really well. And you're absolutely right. Like the character of Tracy Morgan is the same, just in a, from a different background. But I just think it's like you're right. It's such a great performance, and I think what you said is probably true. It probably did go kind of underappreciated because it's just like it's there, it's steady, it's constant. Like she's always funny and always brilliant throughout the show. Yeah, she. Um, and then there's this great subplot where like she's trying to uh, one. She's trying to. Um, to oh, there's 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 a couple really good subplots with her. Actually, there's one where she is um, starred in Mystic Pizza on Broadway. And so she's eaten so much pizza, she's gained a ton of weight. And so yeah. they, like, lean into that and they make her, like, a very, like, her character, like, the, the one of her recurring characters is that, like, 
the joke is that the character is fat and like is mm. always hungry because of how fat she is and it's this yeah. really good like commentary on like fatness and you know mm. just like the way we treat that in in society and stuff like that like it's this it's really subversive and to the point where if you were to just watch it out of context you would be like well that's offensive <laughs> but like it's and i think the show got in trouble a lot not for that specific sketch but for doing that kind of stuff where like mm. people would watch an episode here and there and they'd be like it would be this like really smart commentary on something but it would ape the idea of what that thing was so well that people took it seriously when it wasn't yeah. meant to be it was supposed to be it's a satirization sorry. of it yeah yeah um and uh it was i think that 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 run of episodes is probably the the best um mm. idea behind that because like it's not meant to be body shaming it's meant to say like hey look at this ridiculous ideal we hold as a society mm. but it, yeah, yeah i think if you just kind of jumped into it you know it's 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 a hard show to watch in reruns if you haven't seen the whole show before mm. i agree i seem to remember with that episode though like the whole point was initially she was feeling insecure because she wasn't the way that she normally was mm -hmm. you know but in the end she became comfortable with it because it meant that she could play this character and coming back to what we were saying earlier, she's getting that attention, which is what she mm -hmm. really craves. And so she kind of just comes to peace with it. And like that's the kind of message of, of that episode is just to be accepting, you know, of, of all body types, which like you said, is actually quite clever and quite subversive. But as you say, if you see it out of context, you might maybe get the wrong end of the stick, but yeah. I, again, that's, that's the, that's the funny thing about the show is it does all the wacky weird stuff that we talked about. But it does also have a lot of really intelligent commentary uh, sort of woven in. And it, I think it's it's really hard for a lot of sitcoms to, to tread that line. You know what I mean? I feel like some either mm -hmm. go one way or the other. It's it's not that often that you get one that manages to walk that tightrope. Yeah, there's there's a lot of cynicism in this show. But I think at the end of the day, it's ultimately like pretty hopeful like hmm. there's uh you know everyone ends in a really good place like tracy and and, and jenna make kind of peace with each other and themselves um liz becomes a mother which is something she's wanted during the 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 show um she's able to from what i remember hold a steady relationship with chris um kenneth gets his dream of working in television as like the head of um nbc or whatever like everyone gets their own like happy ending to the show and I think that's important for a show that can be or seem a little cynical, right? Like, like, yeah. Um, we haven't even talked about Jack yet, but like Jack mm -hmm. represents this idea of, you know, rampant late stage capitalism run amok. And the mm -hmm. show leans really heavy onto like how kind of damaging the, you know, that's the show's worldview is like, it's really damaging that that's mm. the case and it's getting in the way of the art that they're trying to make on uh tgs mm. and so it you know the show uh, uh, running through the whole thing is this really like interesting commentary about what happens when capital rubs up against art and how do they compromise and how do they find meaning in each other and how do they d like learn to coexist because this is the status quo like we can try to change it if we want to but this is the these are the parameters we have to work in so we have to figure out how to do that as well um yeah. and you know but 
you don't think about that until you're recording a podcast with it almost <laughs> a decade about it almost a decade after uh, oh, the show's ended. Um, yeah. You know, in the moment, you're like, oh, wow. Uh, you know, Jenna's trying to play uh, Janis Joplin in a movie, but they can't get the life rights, so they change her name to Jackie Jomp Jomp. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's so true that there's... I mean, that that's kind of the great thing, I think, about a lot of comedy, is, you know, you, you can usually look back on it with hindsight and, and see perhaps the bigger picture or some of the themes that the writers were trying to get at. And that's something, like you said, during your podcast, I've genuinely discovered with almost every episode, actually. And yeah, this is no exception. It's It sort of comes back to what you said earlier. Like, it's, it's such a sharp and intelligent show, but it doesn't take itself too seriously either. And that's kind of... I think how it's able to to tread that line so nicely for for the most part. Yeah, I mean, I think you can see that in all of Tina Fey's work for the most part. Um, post mm. post SNL, like Mean yeah. Girls is about like the kind of how brutal high school can be, particularly for girls, and mm. it's super funny. There's so oh, many yeah. good jokes in that movie, but like Love it's ultimately about how yeah. like you know there's this there's this internalized uh misogyny that we imbue on our girls to hold mm. them to these ridiculous standards and we would all be better off if we did not put you know in particular our children in direct competition with each other and yeah. thus creating adult women who feel like they have to be better than another woman and like uh if they work together it's just better that way like mm. that's the message of mean girl it's pretty deep you know <laughs> It, it is it so is and then and like you said in this show is like it's like sort of really sprinkled with lots of things like that throughout the series and yeah i mean you've i mean i was, I was already gonna go and rewatch this show anyway but after you've just saying all of that i'm like now i really need to go back and watch it <laughs> oh, it's, it's not it's not enough hours in the day maybe i should just give up my business and just sort of just <laughs> go into podcasting full time just so i can watch all these shows <laughs> Yeah, right? That's that's mm. the dream, isn't it? That's the dream, yeah. Um, I mean, and even even in the character of Tracy, because we haven't really talked about him, like... Oh, please do, yeah. There's this idea of, you know, he grew up in an impoverished neighborhood, and, and mm. um, there's this... Uh, there's this idea of, like, he's trying to EGOT, right? Which is get an Emmy, Grammar, Grammy, Oscar, and Tony... Yeah. And he needs an Oscar, and so he makes this movie that's uh, it's, it's called, called it's called Hard to Watch, hard to watch, hard to watch, based on the based on the novel Stone Cold Bummer by Manipulate <laughs> is the name of the movie, and it's, it's a parody so of the movie Precious based on the novel Push by Sapphire is that's right, the, yeah, the title yeah. of it. But there's a part where he's like trying to connect to his childhood. And he, like, lists off... This is maybe my favorite 30 Rock joke. They're all my favorite 30 Rock joke. But yeah, he has this monologue where he says, like... He's talking about how hard his childhood was. And he mm. says, I slept on an old dog bed stuffed with wigs. I watched a prostitute stab a clown. Our basketball <laughs> hoop was a rib cage. Some guy with dreads electrocuted my fish. I saw a crackhead breastfeeding a rat. 
a homeless man cooking a hot pocket on the third rail of the G train. I saw a blind guy bite a police horse. A puppy committed suicide after he saw our bathroom. I once bit into a burrito and there was a child shoe in it. I saw a hooker eat a tire. And here's my favorite line in this whole thing. He says, a pack of wild dogs took over and successfully ran a Wendy's. Um, and that is the craziest thing I think I've ever heard on a sitcom. But oh. in that, there's this idea of like, hey, there are like, you know, obviously this is ex exaggerated because every piece of comedy needs to have an exaggeration in it. Yeah. But comedy also opens up the window to talk about these, you know, these hard things mm. um, that uh, that are maybe uncomfortable to talk about or address these societal ills that yeah. can feel kind of like hard to watch based on the novel Stone Cold Bummer by Manipulate. And, um, uh, it, you know, so it. long as the, the, the jokes aren't punching down or making fun of those people mm. or those neighborhoods... Um, it can get people thinking like, oh yeah, there are, you know, obviously that's hyper exaggerated, but like mm. there are people who come up in upbringings where they just see crazy stuff all the time and that affects someone. Yeah. Um, and it, to the point where in it, it unlocks this part of Tracy that we hadn't seen before. Like he, he's suppressed all these, you know, admittedly mm. hyper exaggerated, unrealistic memories from his childhood, but it's what ultimately gets into like, be, mm. like it sets him on his journey this happens late in the series when he's trying to do this and it's it's a way to get him more in touch with himself emotionally so he can be in that better place by the end of the show that's right yeah yeah because he's, he's got family isn't he and he's like it sort of helps mm -hmm. him to be a bit more present uh in that sense which is which is lovely um it also leads to one of my favorite kind of jokes and commentaries well satires really of the of the oscar bait film and everything um mm -hmm. in that after he's done it he wants to go back to comedy but he can't because everything he's he's doing is seen as like further method acting on the role oh, that he's yeah. done and there's like there's even stuff I, I seem to recall a gag where he's like on a talk show and he's being his like previously outrageous self with all these silly jokes and and wacky antics that he does but they're not sticking in the same way. And everyone's like, oh, what a powerful method acting you're doing. And he's like, no. And he's he's trying his best to like act up and get attention and be silly. But it's just, it's backfiring. And it's just a wonderful commentary on like, you know, all, all of that nonsense. I'm sorry, all of that kind of snobbery that comes with, with that side of Hollywood, unfortunately. Yeah, no, it's, it's really great in the way it sends up the entertainment industry. And I think that was the other mm. thing too, is I'd never really seen a show that takes on like, I've always been interested in Hollywood and the business mm. of movie making and entertainment and all that stuff. And it was really, and especially in the town I grew up in, it was really hard for me to find like, like-minded people who gave a crap about that. And so mm. to, to see this show and see like all these weird little in jokes about the industry that even though I don't work in it, like I know some of the, you know, the aspects of it and, and, and what it's like to work in it. And, you know, I was listening mm. to podcasts and stuff at the time of, you know, that's when the, the, it kind of coincided with the, 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 the popularization of, of podcasts. So that really gave me like an insight into what it's like to work into the entertainment industry. And that is interesting to me. Yeah. So, um, it, 
it was really kind of, I think that's why we came, I latched onto the show so much is because I was like, oh, these are people making jokes that I get. And, you know, it just felt very like, not that I didn't get jokes on other things, but like jokes that only I get and like jokes that if I made to my friends, they wouldn't understand. And, Mm. um, it just felt like a, like a home for that kind of humor to me. And yeah, I think that's why I stuck with it so much and why it like it really ingratiated itself to me where it was like, oh, I love Saturday Night Live and I love hearing all these behind the scenes things. And here's the show that does it and also has like the weirdest stuff happening on in the Mm. background. I mean, even down to Conan O'Brien having a being one of the jilted lovers of Liz Lemon and they they you know yes for the for the remainder of the time Conan was on NBC they they do jokes with him where like they have awkward elevator mm. rides and things like that and I was a giant Conan O'Brien fan um mm. and and so it was really cool to see like other people give Conan kind of the respect that I always felt like he deserved anyway nice nice so I think switching gears then because um We've we've brushed up against this character once or twice already, and you mentioned it earlier as being the other coin, other side of the coin. Sorry for this show, which is the capitalist part of it, the business mm. side of it, and that is all represented in the absolutely amazing character of Jack Donaghy, played by Alec Baldwin. I mean, we were talking earlier about dramatic actors in comedic performances in this show. I mean, this guy's front and center. So, yeah, yeah. please t- talk to me about Jack Donaghy. Uh so Jack is. Uh, Jack's great. So I think there's there's a lot there's a lot you have to deal with with Alec Baldwin just as a whole. Um, mm-hmm. Not not a great person, um, and mm. you know I feel like he is the kind of in his personal life and his public image he's the kind of not at the risk of sounding overly political. Um, he's the kind of like neoliberal guy that gives neoliberals a bad rap. You know, he's very progressive in his politics. He supports these ideals. He's very outspoken about his politics and that's fine. But then he's acting like this entitled douchebag all the time, you know, getting into fights over parking spots, getting thrown off planes because he won't stop playing Candy Crush or whatever. Like, you know, he he really kind of undercuts what he claims to stand for um, through his behavior. And I think you can't talk about Alec Baldwin in the show without talking about that because Alec Baldwin is so freaking funny and good on this show. (laughs) And it's, it's, you know... It's, I well, I mean, and, you know, all the stuff with his daughter and things like that. And this is post his stuff with his daughter, too, is, is when the show comes out. And, mm. um, you know, it's, 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 it's hard to reconcile. It really is. But he's, he's so funny and his timing is so good. And just the way he, like, he plays up the, 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 you know, the capitalist uh, bottom line is the only thing that matters type of guy in the show mm. is so like subversive and funny. And I'll say it now, it's a better Trump impression than the actual Trump impression he does on SNL. That Trump impression he does on SNL sucks. <laughs> and uh, 
in in this, he's basically playing who, you know, Donald Trump, but with a different name. And it's a way better uh, satire of someone like that than when he's actually playing the character on Saturday Night Live. Hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, because um, I just, what I loved about him in this show is is uh, the kind of interplay between him and, and Liz Lemon. As you say, they're very opposed in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but they bounce off each other so well. And I think a lot of that is Jack Donahue is very much the straight man of the, of the series. And even his entrance, I think, is brilliant. Like when they're going up to the office to see you know, the, the usual boss... Mm-hmm. And then their way of finding out that Jack's taken over is Jack just bursts through some drywall. And yeah. it's, like, well, like, it's just so over the top. And you're kind of like, oh, okay. And it kind of sets up the character really well. That like he's the guy that can command a room and, you know, is, is all about, you know, business and strategy and, and basically being the top dog in every sense of the word. And they have a lot of fun with that character, I think. And I think for me, some of my favorite moments and episodes with him were, Oh, where they kind of flip it and you get to see his vulnerable side mm-hmm. and uh, like he you know he'll have like a nervous breakdown or like that happens quite a few times throughout the episode where you know he's having an existential crisis or something and and it's just it's really fun seeing him play these extremes all in one character yeah i think that's also one of the things obviously you don't expect deep characterization on snl but i think it's one of the things mm. that sets this type of character apart from He's just like, I'm going to show up and do a Trump impression and do it as, like, yeah. hateful as possible. Mm. Um, like, I, I think that's the biggest problem is, like, you can see the contempt he has for the man in the impression. Mm. And, yeah. like, it just plays his very one note because of that. You're like, you're, It's like, okay, you mm. hate him. A lot of people do. Yeah. What's the joke here b- 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 beyond that? And yeah. Yeah. in Jack, not that we need to... Um, not that we need to like explore every single aspect of him, but he gets he gets mm. so much more fleshed out that we understand why he is the way that he is. We understand mm. who like who made him that way. Like there's this entire subplot that runs through the whole show with his mother, and his mother is like super demanding and Oh man. Um, you, sorry, just you were talking about earlier about guest episodes. Oh, so good. Marceline Hugot. Um is it Marceline Hugot? Oh no, sorry, I've just No. No, I'm I'm getting my characters middled up. Apologies. It's Elaine Stritch. So yeah, Elaine, Elaine Stritch, Stritch. Elaine Stritch, who plays Colleen Donaghy. I mean, talking about characters that make impressions every time they turn up. Mm-hmm. Whenever like Jack Donaghy's mum shows up, oh, you know you're in for a good time. And like you said, and it, it, it not only is it hilarious the banter, like she is so vicious and like it, it's just wonderful because uh, you know Jack is this like you said this big towering presence. And he's sort of, he's so comfortable and calm and collected and like, you know, always on top of everything. So whenever Colleen shows up, it's just wonderful how in like a sentence, she just cuts him down to size. And it just explains so much about his character in just a few moments. You're like, oh, this is why you are the way you are. I'm sorry. Was that supposed to be for our benefit? Do you think we're idiots? If you were my kid, I'd mail you back to the stork. She's not kidding. When I was eight, she took me to the post office because I spilled juice on a couch reserved for the Pope, which has still never been used. You'll come, but I am sorry I tried to mail you. I forgive you. And I'm sorry about the juice, which you should know was actually wine. I forgive you, too. 
Yeah. Well, and, and then there's an episode where, like, he meets a lot. You get to meet a lot of his family, and you see his brothers and how they are. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's always talking about being from this giant Irish Boston family. Um, yeah. Which I think is, like, they kind of wrote as, like, Conan, because Conan O'Brien is, is mm. that way. Um, and... You know, like Nathan Lane plays his brother in it, and you see how he's kind of done this work to kind of get himself out of mm. this like Southie Boston type of uh, stereotype into being this sort of erudite uh, mm. businessman who always has everything under control. But then you see the way he is with his brothers, and they're like calling each other Irish slurs and like. Mm. Uh, Stuff like that. And then you get this, his ex-girlfriend played by Julianne Moore, who's just this, like, you know, down-home Boston type of gal who has this really thick, played-up accent, and he That's slips into like, his. Yeah. Uh, and so you get to kind of see where this guy comes from and see that, you know, everything he's doing is just a complete act um, mm. for a past he's running away from. You know, he's he. I mean, he's honestly, he's almost like a comedic version of Don Draper, right? Like, yes, is very yeah. similar, very similar character. That's, uh, that's such a good observation. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm just thinking like this show started in 2006. Mad Men was like a year later. So yeah, you must, you must wonder. <laughs> they maybe saw that. But like, what if we did that? But straight serious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's you know Jack's such a he's such a wonderful character and he he is the straight man but he gets some ridiculous shit to do uh, mm. over the course of the series like he gets some of the best one liners like especially mm. when they bring Devin in like there's yeah, yeah. there's this part where he they're talking they're talking back and forth and he says something about lasers and like. Mm. Jack shoots Devin with a laser and, uh, or no, Devin shoots Jack with a laser, like an imaginary laser. And he yeah. just deadpans. He just moves his hands in front of himself and goes laser shield. Like that's going <laughs> to win him the argument. That's right. He gets some great ones. Uh, uh, I just, I seem to remember, um, an episode later on where you find out, a bit more about Colleen and I think it's implied that she had a relationship with this like really sweet old Hispanic woman mm. and this and she and he fi basically finds out that like mm -hmm. his mum has this whole other life inside that he never knew about yes I do and, remember and, that. and she says a line where she's like oh you know describing her mum says oh she was an angel from heaven and he just under his breath says so was Lucifer <laughs> <laughs> he's got all these like really great quips and lines that he just mutters under his breath it's it's really good yeah well and the the probably the most famous Jack line is uh where he he's wearing a tuxedo and Liz yeah. thinks it's for like a uh, it's for an event she's trying to help him write a joke for. And he's like, yeah. well, no, the event isn't for another six months. And she's like, well, then why are you wearing a tuxedo? And he goes, it's after five lemon. What am I, a farmer? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. But like, I mean, speaking of his relationship, I think with, I mean, we've not mentioned, well, we have mentioned her, but the, you know, the main character, Liz Lemon, I think it's quite a nice one because it's one mm -hmm. of those, like, it's not a, a typical will they, won't they in you know in the romantic thing it, it's kind of made obvious that they don't really have an attraction you know mm -hmm. like they don't they don't like each other but they respect each other 
and like so their relationship is more of like a mentor mentee kind of thing you know in as much as jack sees a lot of potential in liz and is like trying to help her sort of achieve the goals that she wants to achieve um but at the same time she i think she teaches him to be a bit more open and honest with himself and and with others and it's Mm -hmm. so it's this nice kind of back and forth they have that doesn't fall into the kind of stereotypical will they won't they romance of sitcoms yeah um their relationship over the course of the whole thing i think um there's this great it's technically a set of episodes but it's it's the same Mm. episode with different gags it's the the live episode they did so Mm. they did this really cool thing where they did like a literally live episode so all the set changes all the Mm. jokes everything is happening not just in front of a live audience they did two broadcasts, one for the East Coast and one for the West Coast of America. And so right. in that episode, they have like different guest stars and different, um, they, they, there's like fake commercials that happen over the course of it because they had to block off time for commercials. So while they're doing set changes, they have like one character. As a matter of fact, John Hamm is one of them. And he's like selling this product, this fake product within the universe of 30 Rock. And... <laughs> Uh, it's a, I think it's a different product from like between each episode. There's just differences between them. But what I love about that episode is it looks different because they have to film it live. So it looks Mm. like a live show. Right. And, um, they don't have the, you know, the, the, the fancy lighting, like the lighting is really kind of poor throughout it Mm. because they're just kind of doing it on the fly and they have to like be able to just like really light everything super bright so you can see everything happening in the scene and just keep it that way the whole episode, basically. Like, they can't do this cinematic mm. thing that they've been doing with a single camera. And at the beginning of the episode, you find out that Jack hasn't been drinking. Mm. And then at the end of the episode, I don't even remember the plot of the episode that well, but at the end of the episode, um, Liz convinces him to take a drink again. And <laughs> they cheers, they clink their glasses, and then they take a sip and it cuts to a pre-recorded end of the episode that looks like the the way the show normally looks. So the joke there is that this is what the show looks like to Jack while he's sober. Um, <laughs> and that everything goes back to, quote, normal again now yeah. that he's resumed drinking. And it's yeah. a very funny joke and a very clever, brilliant way to kind of excuse why the show looked that way. Um, but it also reveals something deep about Jack, which is that he's using this alcohol once again, like Don Draper as a crutch to get through his life, to avoid having to deal with any of the real problems he's facing and, Mm. um, how he relies on Liz to kind of keep that normalcy in his life. Cause that episode happens really late in the show. Mm. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's, that's. I'd forgotten about that, but that's such a good commentary and such an interesting way of of sort of addressing something about a character, which I kind of feel any other show, not any other, but perhaps a lesser show, if you will, would have just plowed straight into it, mm-hmm. you know, head on. Whereas like, that's like you said, kind of more of a footnote and a sort of hidden commentary. It's, it's that's, that's really clever, man. And, I mean, speaking of, 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 of Tina Fey and Liz Lemon's character, I think she's brilliant as a, as a leading woman. 
I, mm-hmm. I, I remember when I first saw this, I thought she's absolutely hilarious. She's not your typical kind of leading lady in comedy, I don't think. Yeah, she is... I really like Tina Fey a lot. Um, I think there's been maybe a reassessment of some of her stuff semi-recently that maybe mm. some some not-so-great stuff has happened um, as far as, like, mm. the way she treats, like, race and, and things like that. Um, but okay. I... I think like in, in previous things, but I think, I think she's just really funny comedy writer and a really funny comedy performer. And I think she's, I mean, like you said, just brilliant. Like she's so funny and her timing and her sense of humor is so offbeat and distinct um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can, you can identify a Tina Fey project almost immediately. I think. Um, Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's done a couple things since 30 Rock that have been a little less successful. Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is maybe the thing that's been the most successful, and it's also mm. very much in that vein. Very funny, very, like, joke-a-minute, very weird, very heartfelt at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then she did a show called Mr. Mayor this last year um, with Ted Danson and Horatio Sands. And okay. it did not get good reviews, and I loved it. I thought it was super funny. Um, most of what she's done since 30 Rock has ended is she's taken kind of a hands-off approach where she'll like put her name on it and kind of shepherd the show, but it's written by a different team. But Mm. that team is so good at writing in that same style as 30 Rock. You know, it doesn't feel... Mr. Mayor isn't quite as surreal as Kimmy Schmidt or 30 Rock, but it's still like like that joke a minute thing it's a lot about like la liberal politics um Uh types of jokes and it's i thought it was really funny it only ran for six episodes and i don't think it's coming back and i i don't know my wife and i thought it was i don't know we we lived close enough to la to get a lot of the humor so maybe it's like location dependent but there was a lot of like like there are a lot of in inside entertainment jokes there's a lot of like inside la jokes and maybe People don't like that as much because okay. that's even more insular than like the entertainment industry. I, you could argue it's like very region and um, city specific. Uh, but I, th- I, I thought it was a really good, you know, sort of local government. You know, the, the Ted Danson's character is significantly more liberal than a Donald Trump, but just sort of this like upper class white guy who kind of keeps failing up, even though he has no idea what he's doing um type of character yeah yeah and i okay. i don't know i really liked i'm also a sucker for ted dance and i think he's just one of the best television actors who's ever lived if not <laughs> the best television actor who's ever lived and yeah uh, he's you know he gets some really funny jokes in it and he's like down to be weird in that too and and it's 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 a good show and then she's got another one on peacock i think maybe it's on paramount plus i don't remember but it's about, mm. like, a girl group, and they were, like, you know, they were essentially, like, an American version of the Spice Girls, but now they're pushing 50, and they're reuniting for the first time since the early 2000s, and it's just kind of them dealing... I haven't mm. seen this one, but it's them kind of dealing with, one, the death of one of their members, and two, um, just kind of how the entertainment and music industry treat, like, in particular... Not, like, in particular aging women... Um, where mm. they're basically useless if they're over 40. Um, right. And 
that's a cool premise for a show. But everything I've read about it is like, it is the weirdest show she's ever done. Um, and it's written by two, the people who show run it are two former, I think, 30 Rock writers and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt writers. So that's um, great news. Is that the one? No, I forgot no, entirely about great news. Because uh, I remember watching that for like two episodes and didn't quite go on with it. But that's by the by, you know, she's yeah. like you said, she's doing so much stuff. And like you said, I mean, being a oh, Saturday it's called, night. It's called Girls, the number five EVA. So it's called Girls Five Eva. Because um, oh. that's that's the <laughs> name of the that's the name of the group. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I mean, yeah, she, she's one of those, like, she's a Saturday night alum, alumni, and she's just, like you said, incredibly clever as a mm. writer, but as a performer, as a character in this show, I think she's wonderful. She's really funny. She's witty. She's just, like you said, there's, as you mentioned earlier, this top of this episode, there's some great physical comedy on her part as well. Um, there's just so much to it that I think is wonderful. And she's one of those characters that's, I just think really interesting as a protagonist because she's like, she's very, obviously very intelligent. You know, she's a head writer of this show and she's, she knows what she wants. She's very sort of outgoing and, and driven in that way. Mm-hmm. But then like in her interpersonal relationships, it's usually a disaster, you know? And, and this is kind of normally I would think, you know, the idea of watching somebody, trying to find the right person it, it it has like a limited appeal in comedy but i think as we said earlier they use the guest stars that they bring on to bounce off of her in relationships so well that it's always interesting and then when you yeah. sort of find when she finally ends up with um with uh james marsden it it's kind of a relief you <laughs> know you're almost like oh good she's got a normal one yeah. <laughs> it seems to work well uh she there's <clears throat> speaking of her with the guest stars the episode mm. well i think it's episode two of season two it's an early episode mm. of season two uh seinfeld is a guest star jerry seinfeld and yes uh yeah, yeah. he he has an interaction with her um where she's like where she buys this wedding dress and she mm. ends up wearing it i don't remember why but she ends up having a breakdown and she's crying and like mm. Seinfeld runs into her while she's crying and she just goes, what is the deal with my life? And he goes, are you making fun of me? And it's such a good joke of like how everyone kind of, that's kind of how everyone's Seinfeld impression sounds and mm. uh, how he's probably tired of that. Um, but yeah. it's this great little moment and they have like, it's this little moment, but their, their, their comedic timings are so perfectly in tune with each other because of how good they are as comedic performers. And I think Tina Fey, mm-hmm. once again, underappreciated, doesn't get the credit she deserves. Cause she's a little bit more the straight man like Jack is, um, mm. to these weird characters. I mean, there's, we once again, haven't even talked about like all the weird side characters in the writer's room, like. Judah, I mean, yeah. Judah Friedlander go, go and Tufer and Pete mm-hmm. and uh, uh, is her name Suri or Siri? Um, yeah. You know, the, the, those characters are an ensemble unto themselves, you know? Like, they... Mm. 
they do these like weird and they feel so much like from the podcasts I've listened to. I've obviously have never been in a writer's room, but they feel so much like archetypes you would find in a writer's room. Absolutely. I mean, like you said, just rattling them off, you know, it's like uh, Scott Adsit I've got here mm-hmm. plays Pete Hornberger is kind of mm-hmm. like this disheveled middle-aged man that you get the impression he's very under the thumb and, and like, is just constantly on the verge of a breakdown. Yeah. But has some kind of comedic genius locked away in him. So, because he always delivers. There's Judas Freelander, like you said, who plays Frank, uh, Frank. Rosentano, who is just this bizarre character, <laughs> like sort of like this stoner dude who's like, he's like an ev- a new hat every episode, sometimes yep. multiple hats throughout an episode with yep. like slogans and things on them. But again, always delivers obviously has something you can tap into keith powell i love as tufa the you know and the, the kind of commentary on him as as like the one black guy they have in the writer's room who's also went to harvard hence yeah. the joke tufa <laughs> and he and he manages to bring up harvard like in nearly every episode as yeah well. he's sort of sort of the andy bernard of the show yeah yeah exactly um and yet yeah, Ka- uh, katrina bowden as a series kind of like their their way of of the show kind of looking at youth culture mm-hmm. you know and and through through her lens and through that character and doesn't she end up marrying like an oligarch or some point or something like yeah, that? yeah she I, does yeah. uh oh gosh she like, up... yeah that's it's just again it's, it's just like a throwaway plot in, yeah. in the, one point in the story and there's there's so much stuff i mean I, I mean i'm just looking at the cast just now and i i want to briefly mention as well the guy's uh, who work as part of Tracy Morgan's ensemble. You've got Dot Com oh, and Grizz. Dot Com and 30 Rock. Or, yeah, Dot Com and 30 Rock. Dot Com and Grizz. And that is their actual names as well. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. And they're great. And like you said, like there's this whole, like, just massive group. Like, it's just, uh, get my words out. There's this whole thing with that that writer's room dynamic that is, as you said, I, I like you, mate, I'm obviously not, we're not writers, but it feels lived in. It mm-hmm. feels real. Like in those scenes where they're bouncing off each other and they're coming up with sketches whilst also insulting each other and, you know, and throwing all this stuff around, it just makes you think, like, I can, I can imagine this is what it must be like to just be a fly on the wall in one of these writing rooms. Yeah. Uh, there's... Um, there's this great gag... I think it's really late in the series where Grizz has this fiance. Yeah. And um, Tracy talks to Liz about, oh, Grizz is off with his fiance, fiance. And (laughs) uh, she goes, oh, are you stressed Uh. out? You're repeating your words again. And he goes, no, Grizz's fiance is named fiance. It's like Beyonce, but with an F. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Uh, And then there's this, there's this idea that uh, dot com and Liz kind of have a romantic relationship that's never seen in it as well. And also that uh, dot com is like way smarter than he leads on Mm. to be. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And they, they kind of, they play it dumb to sort of almost like keep Trace, Tracy happy and yes. like to sort of fit fit in with part of his entourage, which is, again, there's so much stuff in this show, man. Um, 
Oh, we, we could sit here for like another three hours, I think. And just I talk think about so it. too. It's, it's, it's so yeah. well put together. And like, mm. the thing is, we've talked about all these characters because they all feel like they have a point of view. Like every character yes. feels like they're operating from a completely different standpoint. They're so distinct and all of them stick out, but none of them clamor over each other for the spotlight. And like, it is, yeah. it's weird because you don't think of the show as an ensemble show, but it absolutely is. Oh, yeah. No, no, for sure. You're right. I mean, and it comes back to something that has come up on every episode. <laughs> um, and what I believe, and I'm sure you agree with me on this one, is like what makes a sitcom truly successful is an ensemble, is having a cast of characters with, like you said, all these individual performances bouncing off each other and having this sort of lightning in the bottle type chemistry. And this is one of those shows where that is absolutely the case. You know, you're never disappointed by all the different pairings and the group performances. It's just, it's so wonderful to watch. And I, I need to go and rewatch this now. And like, after all of this, I'm like, damn it, <laughs> I'm going to have to go back. And, and it, I'm, I've, I've got all these shows fighting for my attention now at the minute. I might just have to do like an episode of each one and just sort of work my way through. Yeah, just, yeah. uh, just, uh, uh, binge them um like set aside today and binge one episode from each and then yeah. rinse and repeat until you're done with all of them yeah that's probably gonna have to be the way it is but <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful um mj thank you so much for coming on man and, yeah. and talking to me about this it's been so much fun it's lovely just to, to talk to you again and and see how you guys are getting on and i mean fans of this show will hopefully know all about let's jaws for a minute but i'll obviously give you the floor now to, to plug away and tell the good people where you can where they can find you yeah um oh also last last thing about 30 rock though i have to oh, I no, go for it go for it i have to mention the episode where paul rubens plays this like completely inbred royalty this prince uh, uh-huh. prince prince gerhard who has like this super yes he has this super sensitive immune system and he's got like a little hand and (laughs) it's maybe a little insensitive (laughs) looking back now but the joke is that like there's so much like he's the product of so much like royal inbreeding that this is who he is now and he falls in love with with jenna and uh that episode that's the one where i think if you get to it because it's in season one if you decide that you're watching it and you make it to this episode and it's not for you, it will never be for you. Um, yeah. yeah. It's about halfway through the first season, but it is, I think Paul Rubens is so funny in that episode. And once again, mm. never comes back. He's never oh, on yeah. the show again. He's never talked about, but he turns in this absolutely like committed mm. performance as this character. And it's, it's so funny. <laughs> I know there's so many, man. I mean, I I think of like Carrie Fisher and um, Buzz. Oh Aldrin. my gosh! Yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so many that like you said, the list goes on. It's it's one of those shows like if you're on board for the wackiness and the satire, you'll love it. And and as you said, you'll never be disappointed whenever a guest star comes up because they will be used in the best possible way you yeah. can ask. Yeah, so, Carrie Fisher yeah, is def- the catalyst for another one of my favorite Jack Donaghy lines, which is never go to a hi- go never go to a second location with a hippie. Um, yeah what a, uh, brilliant which brilliant. is actually basically the plot of once upon a time in hollywood so maybe 
That's what oh. gave Quentin Tarantino the uh, the inspiration for uh, maybe for that. Um, anyway, <laughs> yes, you are welcome, sir. Thank you for having me again. Um, it was great. I never get to talk about Thirty Rocks, so I thank you for the platform. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at mjsmith eight nine one. I'm there too much, but I'll I'll, I'll be there <laughs> hanging out. Uh, you can you can find me on there. I co-host a podcast with a previous guest. I think she was on to talk about The Good Place, right? She was. Um, Yep, Sarah Buttery. So uh, we co-host a podcast called Let's Jaws for a Minute, where each week we take a a minute or thereabouts of the 1975 film Jaws, and we we discuss it and dissect it in detail. And um, it is a bizarre way to watch one of the greatest films ever made, but it's also very rewarding. And I think um, just the, the, the details we're, we're noticing in it are very, um, I think, interesting. Maybe it's because it is my favorite film of all time, but it just is an exploration of our favorite film that is leading us to a deeper appreciation of it. And so if that sounds interesting to you, please check it out. You can follow that at Jaws for a minute on Twitter as well. I agree, man. And I always say that I think it's like the perfect show to go from this show into because it's it's a podcast with previous guests yourself and mm-hmm. sarah about a previous topic jaws so it's like mm. if you've loved all of that it's like a perfect combination and as you said i I love listening to it every week because it's always something new that's like oh i didn't i never would have thought of that um yeah absolutely brilliant and, and of yeah. course and your other podcast as well which i think is an absolute blast to listen to uh real perspective yeah mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I co-host another show called Real Perspective. It's R-E-E-L, R-E-E-L Perspective. It's We talk about current release movies, I believe. Not sure when this is coming out, but we should have an episode at least on the newest Fast and Furious movie um, out by the time you hear this. Also, uh, let me plug my other episode of this show um, where I talked about pinball um, because yeah. I very much appreciate Harley for giving me that platform, and I'm sure... I either blew his mind or bored him to death about uh, a very, very, very specific hobby of mine. I can assure you it was the former. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, MJ, thank you so much for coming back on. I'd love to have you back on again sometime in the future. Absolutely. And I will, of course, be plugging away your show and, and all the links people can go and find the good stuff. So all that's left to say is thank you for coming on. Thank you. And there we have it. A massive thank you to MJ for coming on to the podcast and sharing your love of 30 Rock with all of us here. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation just as much as I did. Definitely go and check out MJ's podcast. If you don't already, it's Let's Jaws for a Minute and Real Perspective. I've put both of those links in the show notes for you, as well as some of his uh, social media handles. Well worth going giving this guy a follow. Also, I want to give a massive thank you to Alex Jenkins, who designs the artwork for the show. If you like what you see in the logo, make sure you go and find him. His details are also in the show notes for you. And you can reach out to him, get a commission. It's well worth your time doing so. All that's really left to say is a big thank you again to every single one of you who is listening, who is downloading the podcast, who is subscribing, who is telling a friend. All of that means so much to me. You, You can't possibly know... Um, If you're kind enough to leave me a review as well, preferably five stars, of course, then please tell me if I've missed it because I want to give you a big shout out on the podcast. It's the least that I can do.
I'll be back again in just a week's time with another sitcom for you and, of course, a little clue at the end of this episode as to what's coming up. So all that's really left to say until next time is stay tuned and stay safe. I'm your best friend. You're my best friend, Barney. Good. And as your best friend, I suggest we play a little game I like to call Have You Met Ted? No, 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 no. We're not playing Have You Met Ted. Hi, Have You Met Ted? Hi. I'm Ted. <laughs>